You are listening to the 13th Hour, your source for all things Pathfinder. I'm your host, Miss 13th Hour herself, Fallon, here with tabletop gaming developer and self-professed Pathfinder guru, Eli. So Eli, we're discussing skills this time. We are. Skills are kind of the backbone of your character. Pretty much everything you do outside of combat is going to be based on your skills. Which is important. It absolutely is important. A lot of people try to and are tempted to kind of narrow down tabletop RPGs to, oh, I hit it with my sword and I'm fighting dragons. But most of what you're doing is not going to be fighting dragons. It's going to be doing dungeons and talking to people in towns and doing all kinds of fun stuff. And that's all oh, yeah. going to be skill-based. Unless you're a first-time DMer and you want to get the fights down first before you go into big-time story creation. <laughs> See, I would argue that the opposite end is more important than getting a handle on the world and the characters before you start throwing them at like big monsters. <laughs> okay, so we discussed in the last episode about abilities and how it does relate into skills like acrobatics was strength mm -hmm. acrobatics is dexterity oh, oh oh i'm thinking of climbing yes <laughs> um every skill is tied directly to an ability so and that's something that you'll eventually kind of get the hang of when you're starting to look at your skills list and looking at your abilities list and seeing how they relate and i mean it's pretty intuitive most of them so like diplomacy is obviously charisma things of that nature so it kind of though they relate pretty closely now the main thing to keep in mind is that some abilities you can use even if you are not trained in them and some abilities you or sorry skills some skills you can use if you're not trained in them and some you cannot so that's something that when you're looking through your skills and making decisions that that's important oh yeah and each class does come with class ability not class abilities <laughs> well yes but class skills Yes. Then that's kind of your, that's kind of your key of, well, this class comes with all of these abilities or these skills built in. That should kind of clue you into, well, that probably means that these are kind of things that they're good at. Or this is, mm -hmm. these are the kind of things this class kind of focuses on. For instance, obviously the rogue is the easy one. They have acrobatics and appraisal and bluff and climb. So all of these things that you think would go along with being a rogue they come as part of their class skills. Now, what it means to have a class skill is that essentially you get a bonus in that skill. If it's your class skill, you get a plus three bonus to that skill when you're making skill checks. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you are trained in that skill. Every level, including your first level, you get a chance to train in certain skills. And that's called your skill points. And sticking skill points in your skill list is called taking a rank. Mm -hmm. So for instance, at I say I'm level three and I'm choosing my skills because I just became level three, I can choose to put three skill points in diplomacy, for instance, but I can mm -hmm. never be a higher rank in that skill than I am a level. So I could never be higher than a rank three in anything if I am a level three. Now, before we get into what each skill is, I think we should kind of give them an idea of what a skill check means. This is where we're going to start talking about actually rolling dice. We finally got there. <laughs> we uh, finally got there. <laughs> so the way a skill check works is that you have a d20, which is the basic die that you use for most things in Pathfinder is a d20. That means it's a dice with 20 sides. Mm -hmm. And it's the big iconic die that you've probably seen everywhere. So you will roll a d20 and you add to that d20 your class bonus, so a plus three if it's a class skill, your ability modifier that is tied into the abilities that we've discussed previously, and the number of ranks you have in that skill. So as like an example, if I'm rolling an acrobatics because I'm trying to do some crazy flip, mm -hmm. um, I'm doing some crazy flip over a, a hole or something, um, right. and I happen to be a bard, <laughs> Uh, so I would say, okay, so I roll a d20, say I roll a seven, it's not a great roll, but I have it as a class skill. So I'll add a three that brings me up to 10 and I'm level three and I've trained three ranks in it. So that gives me a 13. And then because I'm a bard, I probably have a decently high dexterity. 
So we'll say maybe I have a plus two modifier to dexterity and that would bring me up to a 15. Now a 15 is a fairly respectable roll for someone who is level three. So the likelihood is relatively high that I was able to make that acrobatics jump. But if you think about it, well, what if you didn't have that as a class skill? Well, that's three points off of it right off the top and et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of how you determine what your character is good at is by building all of these different aspects of their skills. Which I know it can sound a little, be a little confusing, which is why I am so thankful for Eli for making the sheet the way she did, because she has it all, she's a grand total next to the skill. And that's even on like a pen and paper actual sheet, there are columns to keep track of all these numbers. You don't have to just know them off the top of your head. Oh, but yeah. I do run an online game, so I'm lucky enough to be able to have a uh, Google Sheets page that does almost all of the math for them, which is great. Oh, yeah. So they're, <laughs> they're, able to, they're able to keep track of it will automatically pull in their ability modifiers, and they just have to keep track of their ranks and uh, their class skills. So it does oh, yeah. simplify things as much as possible. <laughs> Otherwise, it, we would all be confused and be like, wait, what? Yeah, that in the combination of being able to use Discord and certain add-ons to Discord, which let us store macros. So we can just keep these formulas built into the channel that we use for the game. That mm -hmm. also helps immensely. So oh, yeah. it is completely possible to do these at your desktop, obviously, in person. That's how I got started doing Pathfinder. It was in-person games but I find doing them online to be massively easier because of the technology that's available. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with doing it old school. I wouldn't say pen and paper, more like pencil and paper, because you're going to have to erase that stuff. Well, yes, but it's called a pen and paper game. So <laughs> There is a lot here, but it's worth understanding. Most of, I think, I think the sheets you can print off from the internet or buy them, which, whichever. They do say the total bonus, the ability, the rank, and like what we have, except it's not automated, but still. Yeah, then that's just having to make sure that you're keeping track of when your ability modifier changes and things like that. So it's really oh, just, if you're doing it by hand, it's just keeping making sure you're keeping your numbers up to date. And you'll find that on occasion, you will get miscellaneous mods for your skills, which may come from your feats, which we will cover at a later time, or your special abilities, because there are some special abilities that fit into that, giving you bonus for specific skills. There's also certain gear that you can buy that'll give you specific True. bonuses. So there's all kinds of different like miscellaneous sources. They're more rare, but they're definitely out there. Yeah, you just have to have the coin. That is true. If you were buying the gear. <laughs> but yeah, there's... A lot of uh, physical skills, mental knowledge, and as far as knowledge goes, there is a lot of checks for that one. There are. Oh my gosh, there's Arcana, Dungeons, Engineering, Geography, History, Local, Nature, Nobility, Planes, Religion. There is just a lot that requires knowledge and I don't think any fighters really have any knowledge checks, but I could be wrong. Fighters, they do have s at least a couple of the knowledge that are class skills. Dungeoneering and engineering are both fighter class skills. So okay, I can understand that then. Just, I think we should kind of go through and pick up some of the more commonly used skills and just kind of give an overview on them. Particularly, we could start with, I think, with the knowledge skills because they all have specific things that they cover they're pretty specific um, oh, yeah. for instance they're all tied to intelligence so that makes sense they are all trained only skills so you have to be trained in that knowledge skill to be able to use it so oh, let me bring up this thing for you to have learned it you have to take a rank in it just because you have a number from your intelligence yes, doesn't mean you don't you have anything um, <laughs> so. It's also important to consider, you, even if it's a class skill, if you don't have a rank in it, you still can't use it. Right. So you could have all of these bonuses and still not be able to use the skill because you're not technically trained. Correct. Now, kind of looking at the individual, not our knowledge 
Arcana is one that gets used a lot. It's anything magical. Anything mm-hmm. that would be magical in nature would be a knowledge arcana. It's a very commonly used skill because unless you're doing a low magic type of campaign, you're going to come to arcane magical things very often. So that is a knowledge skill that a lot of people end up being trained in, unless they're kind of intentionally making a character that doesn't know anything about magic. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, Dungeoneering is a little bit more niche. You kind of have to have a character that is aware of what that skill is and wants to lean on it a little bit. This is the idea behind Dungeoneering is that the character has an intuitive knowledge of how dungeons work. You would use a Dungeoneering role when they either think that something is strange, maybe there's a, a puzzle or a trap in this room, and they want more information or they want an understanding. So they would use that skill to kind of go through their mind or the DM's mind essentially to pull up, well, this is what's going on here. A lot of the, a lot of people would describe Dungeoneering as kind of a, I need help from the DM type of skill. <laughs> we, we are a little bit stuck. Please give me some insight with my Dungeoneering skill. So it's help I think desk. It, it's essentially the help desk. Yes. But it's <laughs> them pulling from the atmosphere. Yeah. No. Dungeoneering is one you, it's fun to have characters that have it and lean on it, especially if you have a DM, a lot of like larger dungeons, which can be a lot of fun, but they can also be times when the players are just standing there staring at a wall going, I have no idea. I, this, okay, I'm lost. Okay. Okay. We've had that situation in our end game. How, how long did you plan that dungeon for? And it took a couple of months. <laughs> it didn't, I took about two weeks to plan it. And I built it in online, so it was an interactive map. It took so long. It was three floors, and it was fairly intricate. It was a fairly large map, but I did not predict it would take as long to go through the dungeon as it did. It took two to three months to get through it, and it was just so long. (laughs) But we got through it eventually, and I liked it. Everybody came out the other side at least slightly better. I don't know. But it was it was fine. But there was there were definitely places where something that as a DM, I know that this is directly primarily at players, but as a DM, there are going to be times where your players latch onto something <laughs> and they won't let it go. No matter how much it's you true. you sort of like even if you're trying to nudge them, they're not gonna they're they're just not gonna let it go. And one instance in this dungeon that we're discussing is that they got it in their heads that they had to get through this door and the door was just a tease the door was a teaser for the big boss but they got it in their head that they had to get through it somehow <laughs> it's not the and, frozen door uh no this was the the big door uh so much so that several characters ended up stuck behind it because it was a double door there was two they got stuck between the two and they just stayed there for a while because they couldn't figure out how to get back out <laughs> and all I wanted them to do was walk down the hallway past the door to the rest of the dungeon so that they could open that door by the way they were supposed to. Don't. They... Didn't you say before, don't put something even slightly interesting? Otherwise, your character, your your people are going to focus on that. <laughs> See, that's what I mean by that is that you shouldn't put flavor text in that is too interesting because they'll cling to it. This instance, however, was this was important. You were going to have to come back to it. But I figured after you beat your head against it, you'd eventually get the hint that you needed to come back to it because there was this very obvious hallway to your left that you had not yet explored. Good luck with that. Uh, Clearly, clearly, um, (laughs) it did not end well for anyone, really. No, no. It's true. Um, However, moving on slightly. um, engineering is kind of what it sounds like it's your ability to understand how mechanical things work not something that we use in our primary campaign very much but that's Mm -mm. because our primary campaign is mostly sci-fi so engineering is kind of been shoved out of the way and it's not especially useful because i added a couple custom skills in for that but we won't go into that right now but useful there but a lot of a lot of campaigns especially ones that like focus on like building constructs or Mm -hmm. siege engines that's really where engineering would come in. Oh, yeah. Uh, Which is why I think a lot of us haven't even touched that. <laughs> yeah, it just hasn't really been a topic that's come up in our 
campaign. So geography, however, is tends to be pretty important. Geography, yeah. as it kind of sounds, is your ability to know where you are and where you need to be <laughs> and your ability to get there. So, I mean, that's just, that makes oh, yeah. a great deal of sense. And it's an important skill to have. Yeah, it's an important skill regardless on if you are doing a medieval era, which is where most Pathfinder seems to be. Mm-hmm. Or if you're doing science fiction, you need to know that would probably fit into navigation, wouldn't it? Yes, and I've used it for that. Um, situations where I'm having them navigate because obviously they have spaceships and they go between planets. And I make them use geography as a navigation thing if they're going somewhere they're not familiar with. So that is that's definitely important. So anytime you're traveling or you're, for instance, looking at a map and trying to understand what you're seeing or someone tells you about you know this city that well clearly something cool is going on there you you would use geography to be like okay well i know where that city is which is uh i don't know if i've rolled many on that one but yeah i get what you mean now another the next one we'll go look at is history and that one's fairly self-explanatory um it's (laughs) the, the ability to know what happened in a place or maybe a reference comes up to a name or an incident, you would roll history to see if you know anything else about it. So yeah, it's a fairly straightforward one. I would say that it's of the knowledge is one of more to pick up just for context sake, because there's always going to be so much information that you can take from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I know that you had mentioned that some people do multifaceted as far as uh, DM goes and that you may learn something that one of your other Uh, teammates isn't learning so that's actually really useful definitely in certain situations if information is sensitive or particularly juicy type things I will send them individually to people so just to kind of add a little bit of spice if you're doing a campaign that has a lot of intrigue to it, having more one-on-one interactions with the players uh, becomes more significant though I would be careful on the whole aspect of interacting with people, whether it it doesn't matter if you're suave or not, as far as talking to people that that'll relate to diplomacy, which we'll discuss in a little bit. But yeah, it's always interesting for people to interact with the NPCs. Just don't let them go idle or they'll stop talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) You've done it to us. Uh, let's see. The next knowledge is local. Local is one that's kind of niche, but it can be very helpful. Local is, say, for instance, you are in a place. It is your ability to understand what the place is like, how to find things there, how to talk to the locals, um, find their, for instance, you're in a shop or you're in a city and you're looking for a particular type of shop. Um, you might roll knowledge local. And get not just the best shop in town, but you might get a better deal because you're familiar. It's sort of the like intuitive knowledge of the place that you are. And it's primarily used for urban places because there's another one that's really more naturalistic. But it can definitely be very useful for getting the lay of the land. Oh, yeah. Also to getting distracted. Well, I mean, there's that too. (laughs) (laughs) And immediately the flip side of that is therefore knowledge nature, which... As you might expect, anything in the natural world would fall under nature. Animals, plants, being stuck in the woods, that all be nature. And on the flip side, I don't mean to skip the nobility. We'll come back to that. Plains is, um, as far as knowledge goes, that's knowledge of the unnatural. Plains is specifically any other plane of existence. Pathfinder takes place on what's called the material plane. That Mm -hmm. is the normal earth-like place where everybody exists there are a lot of different planes in the lore so knowledge planes would be anything that's outside of the material plane would fall under knowledge planes that would be outsiders which is any native from a plane that's not the material plane it would be what those planes are like etc so it is anything that's outside of the material plane right and to jump back into nobility that is what it is what it sounds like at least knowledge of kings and queens and i kind of wish that it was phrased slightly differently because it's really knowledge politics more than anything else 
So it is about the nobility, but it's, it's about the political sphere. It's about who does what and why and who's on whose side. And that it's really all about that for the most part. So, I mean, you would roll it if you're about to talk to Lord so-and-so to find out about him or anything you might know about him ahead of time. But it's really more the focus on that like political layer of society, which then does lead into the last one of the knowledge skills, which is religion. Oh, which quick question. Uh, yes, sir. Because I'm looking at our character sheet. Yes. Knowledge tech, that's something that a, you created, right? That was something I created specifically okay. to slot in for our sci-fi. Uh, okay. Same. Sorry. Just continue on. I just needed to double check. <laughs> no, that's fine. But yeah, the last one is religion. That seems fairly straightforward, I think. Anything that would have anything to do with deities or religious orders would fall under knowledge religion. Right. And it kind of sometimes goes hand in hand with arcana. It can. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. A lot of the time I'll accept either an arcana role or a religion role because especially in, because I run a primarily homebrew world, obviously I'm doing sci-fi. So a lot of the time arcana and religion are up together very neatly because they're, they're very strongly linked. But in a lot of places, especially if you're playing with paladins or clerics who have a very strong religious order background, that would become more distinctive. Okay, that, that's actually good to know, especially for future games. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something for our listeners to keep in mind. It's like if they're playing a cleric or paladin, that that's where a lot of the, if put in that religion. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely. Okay, Um, I want to, because uh, I think we already brought up the linguistics part, especially about how many languages you could learn. <laughs> Yeah, linguistics we've touched on. I want to hit the three main social skills because okay. they're very, very closely related. Diplomacy, bluff, and intimidate. And they're, mm-hmm. kind of a, they're kind of a triangle. Pretty much all of your social interactions are going to happen somewhere in the triangle of diplomacy, intimidation, and bluff. So okay. most of your interactions would under diplomacy. Diplomacy is your ability to get someone to interact positively with you whether you're trying to convince them to do something for you or regard you favorably. Generally, it's your ability to play nice and to get someone else to play nice with with you. Intimidate is kind of pulled on the other direction where you're also trying to get them to cooperate with you, but you're not doing it in a nice way. You're doing it in a aggressive way. So you're trying to get to like bully them into doing the thing you want them to do. Yeah, which can, you can intimidate them, but it can blow up in your face too. That if there's, especially if you do it to a party member, because this happened before. Oh, it's actually happened before. (laughs) Yeah, it happened between my character, which is my sorcerer, and Rika's character. And then she had to deal with the fact that my character was afraid of her because she like nat 20'd her intimidation. She blew that roll out of the water. (laughs) Yeah, so then you've got to deal, if you do that to your party... Well, I mean, if then you do it to, you're going to need to deal character. with the aftershock of it. I mean, if you can deal with it, do it to an NBC, just because you've scared them into cooperating, it does not mean they don't remember this and they're not going to look on you differently in the future. The intimidate doesn't last forever. Just because you, you won an intimidation role does not mean that three days from now, they're still intimidated, but they're right. going to have a negative opinion of you. Mm-hmm. after that now they could still be scared of you or they could be angry or they could be resentful that'll depend really on how the dm wants to handle it but intimidation should in my opinion generally be saved for situations where necessary because diplomacy is going to leave the person with a more positive opinion of you yes. and it's not really burning bridges now the third triangle point here is bluff and in our particular party we use bluff a lot <laughs> <laughs> Bluff is obviously lying. Again, it's trying to get someone to believe something you're telling them or get them to do something, but it's not telling the truth. Now, obviously, bluffing can blow up in your face too, especially if you're caught. Now, an important distinction with bluff, and we have a couple of characters that are very, very specific in how they word things. One of them in particular has tendency, because she's had dealings with with fake-like creatures, that She's extremely intentional about how she picks her words. So frequently she will be saying something and her words are not technically lying, but they are extremely misleading. And I've had to have the discussion with her and at least one other player that you have, 
it's still bluffing as far as a skill as long as you know you're not telling the truth because even if the technically the words you're saying are not lies you're still intending to mislead so that is still bluffing makes sense so that's one of those i've had to have you know conflicts with the characters and conversations where i understand what you're saying and i understand what you're trying to do your character still thinks still knows they're lying so they are still exercising the skill of bluffing and i think that eventually got through and made sense to people but that's bluffing has can be a very important skill and a thing to remember is that all three of these skills are tied to the same ability they're all tied to charisma so mm-hmm. whichever route you decide to take as far as skill ranks will how your character interacts with npcs and even maybe their own party so it's kind of which direction do you want to go mm-hmm. and it can bite you in the rear or it could have positive influences again and not to even try to sell diplomacy all the way up the river diplomacy <laughs> can blow up in your face too oh yes if a person is predisposed to not like you, you can use diplomacy all you want. And even if you have successful diplomacy roles, they could still not like you. It's depending true. on the situation where wherever you started with them. So deciding to rely entirely on diplomacy may also not be the right path. So again, it's really just thinking of all these contingencies. And then this is a great example, in my opinion, of party balance and how important it is to have party balance. Mm-hmm. Because we have definitely have characters that fill that slot into all of those places in various parties we have, where yes. we definitely have characters that are good at diplomacy. We have characters mm-hmm. that are good at intimidation, and we have characters that are good at bluffing. So they can kind of fill in whatever slot they need to fill. It's true. And then you have my character that's not good at any of those things. You know, they're certain skills everybody has their own skills yeah that's perception (laughs) yeah and i mean that'll that leads us right into our uh next major skill is is perception perception is kind of your backbone skill perception Mm -hmm. is what you do when you walk into a new room you would have a role because perception is i'm looking around this room what do i see so I could be sitting in a, or walk into a, someone's sitting room, a noble woman's sitting room, and mm-hmm. I roll perception. If I get a poor perception roll, I may notice very little other than it's nicely decorated and, you know, she's sitting over there. But if I get a better perception roll, I might notice there's an almost empty wine bottle there. So she's acting slightly tipsy. So she might be kind of drunk. That's something I could notice. I could continue on to roll more and I could see on the table there's a bunch of correspondence that's open and maybe even pick up like names or a couple of details off of it. So it's a sliding scale. Perception's almost always a sliding scale. It's not pass fail. So oh, it, there wait, there is a way to fell it. <laughs> well, there's that a way to one yeah. I have not one on so many perceptions. <laughs> Perception, I mean any skill or actually any role and we can cover this you know what let's just do it now may as well yeah (laughs) when you are rolling a skill an attack anything any roll where you're rolling a d20 if the d20 lands on a one that's called a critical failure or a botch or a fumble depends on what your table calls it right but ultimately it means the same thing it means you failed it doesn't matter what all your bonuses say you could have the biggest bonus in the world but if you rolled a one you failed and you didn't just fail you failed epically now Uh depending on your dm and the situation a lot of dms take that and they'll make it something funny or exorbitant um frequently when i have players fail perception rolls they do kind of crazy things that maybe are a little bit detrimental to the party i try not to make anything that's going to like unnecessarily hurt anyone too much but we've definitely had situations where characters have run screaming into a different room or (laughs) things of that nature definitely had characters that have like not seen a wall and walked straight into them i try to make perception in particular funny we've also had some 
Nat One failures, which have actually really been great for the story itself, also need to consider about your skills and which ones you choose can affect the story at large. Like, I don't think we were supposed to fight one of the big bads. We were supposed to be going to rescue a character named River and his people from a torture room and stuff like that. It was, it was great. I don't think any of it was planned. (laughs) There was only very limited amount of, uh, I did, I did have to do some winging there at the end. No, you were absolutely were not supposed to fight that big bad at all. You were not prepared to fight her, but you definitely picked a fight with her. And that did not, that would not have gone well. It's very good that your patron deity showed up because, and I did not expect him to show up either. I will throw (laughs) that out there. That was also wing because you, he needed to save you because you were this, the party to four contacts was about level seven at the time, maybe eight. (laughs) And they were doing fairly well wasn't their best work but they were they were doing fairly well breaking into this compound rescuing some of their friends but they really started tripping up towards the end they ended up picking a fight with a deity not a deity <laughs> everyone at that point thought she was and she was i had her i had a character sheet for her she was level 20 mm-hmm. they were again not supposed to fight her <laughs> But then they started a fight, and there was really no way for me to back out of it yeah. and have it make sense, but they were going to get destroyed pretty quickly. It's true. The The sorcerer that I play, she has a lot, I, I guess you could say PTSD, especially with experimentation and torture. So when whenever Eli here puts my character in that situation, she is going to fight her way through the whole thing. It will mm-hmm. probably get her killed. Uh, yeah, well, two of the characters got arrested right off the bat, pretty much, because yep. they did not have great roles. They found the they found the prisoner, got him out, but they still picked a fight. Oh, and yeah, that was a mess. That would have ended poorly if I had not been able to think fast there at the end. And, and thankfully, great- the god of the underworld likes us so much. He does. He likes you all <laughs> very much. So he showed up to be like, mm, you can't have... You cannot have them. They're mine. They are my stupid children. I love them dearly. And so they had a they had a bit of a fight. And his wife actually showed up very briefly to escort one of our party members uh, to time out because she deflected or she defected to the, the the bad guys team, and she needed to talk to. <laughs> this is the kind of things you need to consider <laughs> with your rollings you when you're just- picking them. Yeah, so in situations like that, it would have been great if, you know, they had tried talking and using their talking skills. Um, I have none. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, ultimately, things that you should consider. A perception roll would have helped. They they definitely failed perception rolls to notice she was there before they walked in. So, yeah, all kinds of fun stuff there. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, consider it could be the difference one day between fighting a deity and uh, not fighting a deity. I'd still pick a fight with that deity. But moving maybe, on. Maybe not at level seven. Just going to throw that out not there. Not at level seven. But she's traumatized. <laughs> okay. To be fair, I will I will applaud you all. You have come back. You did since kill her. So you got yes. your revenge. I did get my revenge. Her. Yes. So there you go. <laughs> but in relation to perception, there is sense motive. And that's been an important part of the game. Yes. Sense motive is similar. If perception is your ability to look around and pick thing, pick up information from a room, sense motive is your ability to look at a person and figure out what they're thinking and why. And are they lying to you maybe? Or are they misleading you? Or what's going on there? So sense motive is primarily used as an opposition to a bluff role. So for instance, I'm lying to someone and i would roll a bluff roll they would roll a sense motive roll and whoever had the better roll wins essentially so if the sense motive roll is better they'll they'll know that the person is lying but they won't necessarily know what they're lying about or what part of what they're saying is a lie uh sense motive is also really good to use against like npcs if you're getting the impression you're not telling me everything so i need to know 
why or i need to know that i'm right mm-hmm. and um one thing uh, i've been guilty of this once or twice it once you get that sense motive if you roll that you have to go by with what you roll because otherwise your your dm's can be very angry at you Yes, this is something that we will talk about, and I'd like to probably do a whole episode on, or at least a chunk of an episode on, is character knowledge versus player knowledge and yes. metagaming. And god-moding. And god-moding. So that, as just a very general overview, is to be a good player, you have to know the difference between what you know and what your character knows. And having your character act on information that you have but they don't is not good you shouldn't be doing that because that right. makes it that is exactly what metagaming is you know what yeah we will do an, an episode on player and character ethic about because it, it's important that it's something you need to understand when you are playing a character it's true and i mean it's just one of those goes back to you're playing a game you're not trying to win a game necessarily right. You're trying to play the game effectively. So if you're acting on knowledge that your character doesn't have, that very rapidly becomes unfun for everyone. Because oh, yeah. Just, just because you know that party members are lying about something, or maybe your party members are in a different room and they're getting into trouble, like they just got arrested. If you don't know they just got arrested, but suddenly your character, or your character doesn't know, but I mean, you do because you were there, you watched the scene play out. But now your character knows for some reason and they go running off to save them. I mean, that doesn't make sense. And that probably undermines whatever storyline is going on with them. Yeah. So, also, Which is also, I think, um, a good reason that my DM here, Eli, that... And it, it made it better for me. I'm, I'm glad she did this. There was one session where uh, me and her character had been abducted. And we thought we were surrounded by friends, but it was not them. <laughs> and no. it was wonderful. <laughs> it was it was fun. It was definitely fun to play. They had no idea. They had no idea. <laughs> At first, especially. Because I was also running, parallel to this, I was running another, like, chat. Because I do it by chat. So it was yeah. one channel those two thinking they were surrounded by friends. And the other one was was the flip side, where it was the rest of the actual party who thought that they had their friends with them because they had the doppelgangers. Right. And it was beautiful. <laughs> That's Those are the kind of stories I love to see. It's like you really don't know what's going on. It's like a TV show. Yeah. Uh, those are fun. I try to pull things like that. I try to pull like surprises on the party, but like fun surprises. Things oh, yeah. that are more playful. Like I don't want to hurt anyone and I don't want to try to hurt anyone's feelings or undermine what they're doing, but right. fun surprises like that, they're, they make everybody, you know, laugh or chuckle. My party had such a good time on that episode because I let them play doppelgangers of themselves. The, the larger party that was the other side. So it wasn't yeah. our two characters. It was the other side. I let them play their own doppelgangers and they had a blast. They had so much fun. <laughs> oh Yeah. And naturally, my character is going to resist because it was one of those situations about experimentation, torture, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, I, 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 Eli probably knew that that's going to be the immediate reaction that my character is going to have in that. I, in general, I'd like to think I know the buttons of the characters fairly well. Oh by yeah, this point. especially since she pushes them often. <laughs> I mean, part of the fun, you know. True. It's like this is when you're doing a long game. The skills are important, but also the DM has to understand about, hey, this will make this react. This won't cause a reaction to this. You need to know those things. And the player needs to know those things. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, that does a lot of that does tie into your skills because your DM has to know what the party can handle. The DM needs to have an idea of what he's going to do when certain stimuli are put in front of them. So, you know, I put... I put Faye characters in front of one of our diplomat characters and I was glad it was her because I didn't like cherry pick her to go but I was glad it was her because she was probably the only character that could have dealt with the Faye in such a way that she didn't get in trouble 
because mm-hmm. she was the one who knew how to talk to them and interact with them in such a way that she avoided all of their pitfalls. There was one episode we did where we were it was more of a chilling out one and apparently we had to deal with a druid it was like norse kind of time and dealing with a drug uh what was it the mushroom yes they were psychedelic mushrooms it's like everybody had a different vision yes which actually was great for me because it led to an interesting uh storyline because I had a spontaneous idea from it dealing with a sea hack, which we still have not yet discussed what she really was. <laughs> well, maybe we can go and have another side episode. It's been a minute. Y'all have been doing a lot of main storylines, though. We've oh, been yeah. wrapping up your storylines, so maybe a side episode is due. Oh, yeah. And the side episode was something we like seeing. It's it's great to have those big epic stories where you get to use all these skills and really challenge yourself but it's nice to have a interesting little side story here little side story there at least i appreciate it i I think the others appreciate it also i think so we've had some really good fun side episodes like our beach episode that was fun oh yeah that was (laughs) That was different. That was very different compared. I don't think we've done anything like that since then. Everything's been like building up to the final battle. You've been ramping up pretty hard lately. The beach episode came on the heels of a major breakdown where you all had very high bounties on your head. I think we still have high bounties. (laughs) <laughs> they've they've pulled off a little bit since then, but not a ton. But yeah, you were actively being pursued pretty heavily. So you all went essentially undercover in a beach resort and had a had a beach episode. Yeah, uh, it, it's nice when you can have those episodes where you're just chilling out. You don't really have to do anything, any battles or anything like that. You guys are so good at avoiding battles. This is another skills thing uh, to throw in here. They squirrel themselves out of battle so often (laughs) they talk their way out of battles they sneak their way out of battles they sidestep the entire dungeon (laughs) they've done that yeah for a party that swears that they uh they like the combat system and they like how their combat's begged they spend a great deal of time trying not to get into fights which i guess i don't think that's on purpose i don't think that's on purpose Mm, i think it's a little bit on purpose Not all the time, but I definitely think sometimes. Uh, I think it's become a habit for most of us. I'm like, okay, we don't want to fight this dragon. Hey, Rika, can you take care of this? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely one of our characters' motto is there are two types of dragons. Uh, dragons That's... that are my friends and dragons that are about to be my friends. <laughs> that is some good diplomacy. Some high dollar diplomacy. <laughs> Generally speaking, it works. It does. It did, not work, it did not work so much this last time. Well, not for him. It worked. It was did not work this last time as well. Um, but I don't. I don't think he tried to. He wanted to stay in his dragon form. Yeah, I gained. He made the mistake of giving him a uh, an artifact that lets him take a dragon form, and so now he never wants to not be a dragon. <laughs> you know what that sounds like? That shapeshifter we talked about a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> You know, sure, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> Pursue that theory. Oh my gosh! Is there any other but, yeah. major? Another. Oh. I think we should we should kind of touch on um, primarily rogue skills just briefly. Okay. Oh, there Slide is of... a skill before we do jump into that. Mm-hmm. Survival. Survival is kind of hit or miss. It depends on your campaign. Survival is essentially your ability to be in the middle of the woods and not die. <laughs> to put it <laughs> to put it uh, bluntly. So it's basically you are your ability to understand how to find shelter or how to track uh make, track opponents or etc etc etc. So depending on your campaign, if you're in a campaign where you are doing a lot of traveling, survival is probably going to be useful. We don't use survival so often so much in the our main campaign because there's just no need for it. But in a lot of campaigns I've run where there's you're traveling long distances. Things like that, survival is more useful, especially if you're running characters that have the ability to like track opponents, things like that. Yeah. And 
I think that early on in our in our main game, which we will end up talking about lots, lots, <laughs> I mean, we we had a couple of roles in the wilderness on a frozen mountain, and Eli decided to not make us do survival checks because I believe Eli told us that we probably not survive. <laughs> That's another one of those great DM calls where it really can't afford to have the party die right now (laughs) especially during a big story like this yeah it's definitely uh that call of the 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 great dm rule of thumb of never make your players roll something that you're not prepared for them to fail right so which is why you need to be careful about your dc rolls yeah and that's I'll i'll probably do at some point a little bit of a spinoff the things focus, uh, like DM focus, then I'm, I'm sure. Oh yeah, the DM. That, so I'm uh, sure that we could talk about it. But that's one of those things that you have to balance as a DM is how difficult do you want these things to be? So, but yeah, just briefly covering um the three. I consider them to be like the rogue traits, but they're things that I think everybody should have at least a couple of ranks in them: mm-hmm. stealth, sleight of hand, and disabled device. Disabled device is your ability to pick locks or essentially disable traps, anything that would fall under fiddly little work like that. And you might think, oh, lock picking, that's a rogue skill. Okay, but if you're in a dungeon and you can't find a key, who's opening the door? Because there's only so much that the barbarian with a hammer is going to be able to do if that door is really sturdy. So having someone who can pick the lock becomes very important especially because disabled device is one of those skills where you have to be trained in it to be able to use it so it's important even if you just have a rank or two in it just so somebody has something and it's the same idea for traps because you can't disable traps without the same skill right kind of continuing on with that is sleight of hand sleight Mm -hmm. of hand is not a trained only skill but it's still important it's what you would do if you're stealing something sure and, you know, you might not think your character is going to be stealing anything, but sleight of hand is also maybe you're in a situation and you don't want someone to notice that you have your weapon out. That would be sleight of hand. You may not want someone to notice that you've got, like, a book or you slid a book in your pocket because you didn't want them to see you reading it. That would be sleight of hand. Anytime you're trying to do something that you don't want someone to notice is sleight of hand. So it's a good idea to have a, a rank or two in it. Just in case you ever need. And I never thought about that. The you're it, I always assume sleight of hand like you're just jacking somebody's stuff. Actually, pretty important, especially if you're doing it narratively, not necessarily yes. in a fight. I mean, you can use it in a fight too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just mean um, that you can actually use it more beyond that. Yeah, it's definitely useful in, like I said, anytime you're trying to be just a little bit stealthy, sneaky, you're trying to do something without someone noticing it. So it's a good idea to have just at least a little bit uh, in your back pocket. And then lastly is stealth. Stealth is something that is going to be way more important than you think it is. Oh, yeah. And you should have skills and you should have ranks in stealth because maybe you come across a room full of orcs. And your party doesn't really want to fight them. But you got to get to the other side of the room somehow. Somehow. So (laughs) if one person in your party fails a stealth roll, everybody in your party is screwed. So Unless you want to leave them to die. uh, You know, there have been those moments. Uh, (laughs) But no one's ever actually been left to die. But yeah, no, stealth is important for that reason. Because you are never 100% sure... If you're going to have to sneak around a little bit, it's always pretty important to have at least a little stealth. Okay. I have a question to pose since it is on stealth and the amount of skill points. Mm-hmm. If you are an alchemist, you have no, you have maybe one rank in stealth. Mm-hmm. Can you make a potion to make you invisible and it won't matter as far as your stealth skill? You can make a potion, invisibility. Mm-hmm. Invisibility does give you a big buff to yourself, but it's still a roll. So okay. you could still potentially fail it depending on circumstances because your invisibility also depends on are you trying to move or not? Because the buff is different with the invisibility spell, whether you're moving or not. And depending on 
different things that the enemy you're trying to sneak past may be able to do or not. For instance, if they have abilities that are not necessarily vision-based, they may hear you or they may smell you. And that means that you're still depending on your stealth because the invisibility only buffs stealth as far as vision goes. Okay. That's actually something important that just because you're stealthy, you have the skill or the potion, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you can't get caught. Oh, yeah. You can absolutely still get caught. There's also spells that will counter invisibility. Glimmer dust, I think is what it's called, or glitter dust, essentially fills the air with glitter. So you're invisible. You're not incorporeal. So the glitter is going to show an outline of you. There's also light spells that do the same thing that light up an area. And if you're invisible, it essentially lights you up like with a halo. So there are ways to counteract invisibility, especially if someone has an inkling that there might be somebody there, which they very well might for various reasons. Like I said, maybe they can smell you. Scent is a very common monster ability that they can scent or they can smell someone within 30 feet of them. They don't necessarily know exactly where they are, but they know that there is somebody. And those are all valid points. Something for people to consider if they are playing a stealthy character. Yeah. So these are all things to look at and consider. So all very important things. And there's always a lot of factors. And that is something that some players get a little bit too reliant on certain techniques. And so when a monkey wrench gets thrown into the plan, they kind of panic and they don't know what to do. So a lot of playing is being flexible and versatile so that when one roadblock gets thrown up, you don't just panic and freeze. You have, okay, well, this is my backup plan. (laughs) That's why you need lots of good skills. You can't just dump them all into one specific skill because that may fail you your dm may come up with a scenario where that's not going to be useful (laughs) yeah absolutely i think that that'll about wrap us up on skills i'm sure we'll end up popping back and touching on things here and there but i think that's a pretty good overview so join us next time as we take a look at combat for Mm. more of our series of Pathfinder Basics, be sure to check out the 13th Hour podcast out on Spotify on anchor.fm forward slash 13th hour. That is one, three, T-H, hour. Our episodes go up every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday.